Hello there, and thank you for tuning in to our weekly sermon podcast here at Compass Community Church. I'm a map guy. I love maps. I could look at them. I could study them. I could discover new ways and new places in the world all day long with a really good map. I still like the old fold-up kind of put-in-your-glove-box kind of map, but I also very much enjoy just browsing around on Google Earth. Maybe I get that from my dad. Maybe he taught me early on to be prepared and to know the way and to know which way I'm going. This week in our I Am series, we learn what Jesus meant when he said that he was the way, the truth, and the life. Let's join in with Pastor Andrew as he shares from John chapter 14. I have very distinct memories as a child of of riding home at night in the backseat of our 1973 Green Plymouth station wagon as our family drove home from some family event. It might have been a family gathering like Thanksgiving dinner or Christmas or a Sunday evening service at church or, or maybe just a shopping trip to the city. But as I sat in the back seat in the dark, my eyes would close and I would slowly drift into that state of rest, someplace between half asleep and half awake. And we would always take the same route. So I generally knew exactly where we were by how fast we were moving, the direction the car would uh, take, and the sounds that would come from the road, whether that was the speed of the highway or the smooth asphalt of the county road, or finally the gravel side road where the potholes would bounce the car gently up and down and the stones would, would chip off the bottom of the undercarriage of the car. And I learned from experience that if I sat still and was asleep enough by the time we pulled in the drive, that my dad would carry me into the house, up the stairs and tuck me into bed. I could count on him to get me home. Trusting someone else to get, me, get you home, can you relate to that? Maybe it's a closer in the ninth inning of a tight baseball game. Or the pilot on the final approach for landing after a bumpy airplane flight. Or a cab driver in a foreign city where you really don't know where you are. Or a homesick phone call from a crying child at summer camp or from a sleepover wanting to be picked up. Needing someone to get you home. Travel is fun. And we live in a beautiful world. And, and a lot of people have been traveling recently um, for the first time in over two years. It's great to get away. But there is something very special about finally coming home. It's ultimately the place we long to be. It's familiar. It's relaxed. It's the place where you are known, accepted, loved, and safe. It's where you can laugh and rest and enjoy and be yourself and be celebrated. I believe that there is a longing for that sense of home inside each and every one of us. A homesickness that never quite goes away. C.S. Lewis in his classic book, Mere Christianity, says that we all hunger for home. And that hunger is placed in us by God. And it tells us that as great as our experience might be in life, we aren't home yet. Lewis reasons, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. In John chapter 14, Jesus addresses this yearning and desire for home. He tells us that we can trust him to get us there. 
And that's what we're going to unpack today and look at in our I Am series. And I want you to open up your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 14, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 6. And as you do, I'd like to pray for us. And I'd like to use the prayer that John Calvin wrote in the 1600s because it expresses my desire for you and for us, and I hope your desire as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in your Son, Jesus Christ, are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Enlighten our minds by your Holy Spirit and grant us reverence and humility which, without which no one can understand your truth. Through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord, I pray. Amen. As we come to John 14, let me set the scene for you. These verses take place in the upper room in Jerusalem during the feast of the Passover. This is the night that Jesus will be arrested, setting in motion the events that will lead to his crucifixion. This is the end of Jesus' earthly ministry and the beginning of his passion. In the room, there are 11 disciples. Previously, there were 12, and they had enjoyed the Passover meal together, and Jesus had washed their feet. But he has just released Judas Iscariot to go and to do what he was destined to do, which was betray the Son of God for 30 pieces of silver. And right after Judas leaves, Jesus tells the 11 remaining that he is soon going to leave them, and they can't follow him right now. And this revelation is like a kick to the stomach for them. They can't get their head around it. Jesus is their hero. He is their greatest treasure. And they can't imagine not having him there. And if that wasn't enough, Jesus tells Peter that despite his protest to the contrary, that before the rooster crows the next morning, Peter will deny Jesus three separate times. To say that it was a heavy night or that the night had taken a heavy twist would be an understatement. They are despondent. They are confused. They don't understand what is happening. And they want Jesus to clarify, what does he mean? They thought this journey would end in triumph, not in suffering. And in the midst of their anguish and confusion, Jesus begins John 14 with these words. Let not your hearts be troubled. I want to stop right there because I think this so beautifully shows us the heart of Jesus. Here he is just moments away from his betrayal, hours away from his crucifixion. He knows they will all abandon him in fear, but his focus is not on himself. His focus is on them. And rather than scolding them, he loves them. He seeks to comfort them and he calls them to faith. You believe in God, believe also in me. Guys, you can trust me to get you home. As he sees the anxiety in their eyes, he's moved with compassion towards them and he encourages them to trust God's heart, God's power, and God's sovereign plan. And even though Jesus is the one who is about to bear the sins of the world on his shoulders and have his flesh ripped open on the cross, he is concerned about their troubled hearts. And he tells them to trust in God, trust in him, and to trust the plan. And that might be a word for you today, to trust God, to trust Jesus, 
and to trust the plan in the midst of the uncertainty you're facing or the loneliness or the anguish or confusion. Trust God, trust Jesus, trust the plan. He will get you home. Then in verse 3, Jesus reminds them what the plan is, what the plan has always been. My father's house has many rooms, he says. If it were not so, I would, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you, may, you also may be where I am. The plan that Jesus was going, to go, was going to go and prepare a place for them in the father's house, where he tells them there are many rooms, including one for you and me. Jesus uses this metaphor of a big old house to describe what life will be like in the age to come when we pass from this life into the life to come. God desires for his house to be full, full for eternity, and Jesus is the one who makes it possible for you to be there. You just need to respond to the invitation. Too often, we ignore offers like this. Someone says, let's grab a coffee, or let's go for dinner, or why don't you come over sometime? And we like the idea but we don't always take the initiative to follow through. And Jesus is telling us, with God, the doors are open and there is a seat at the table for you. Don't miss out. Notice that Jesus, not only does Jesus care for his disciples in the present, but he also gives them a reason to trust him for the future. But Jesus also knows that those who live in the Father's house must be holy and freed from sin. So he is going to leave the disciples in order to fix the problem of sin and remove the barriers and the guilt of guilt and condemnation that stand between us and God. On the cross, he's going into battle. He is going to bear the sins of the world so that it is possible for us by faith to come home to God. Regardless of what is going on in your life today, know this. Jesus sees you. Jesus has compassion for you. And he can free you from those things that hold you back from trusting God fully. And he simply invites you to follow him home to the Father's house. In verse 4, he says, And you know the way to where I am. To the place where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? I love Thomas. He is the one who honestly puts up his hand and says, um, I don't get what's happening. He doesn't try to pretend that he has it figured out. He just blurts out that they're all confused. They don't know what Jesus is talking about. But he brings that confusion to Jesus. He doesn't sit in it. He moves in it and he brings it to Jesus. And Jesus meets him in the midst of it. He doesn't rebuke Thomas. Instead, he gives Thomas something to hold on to. And through the confusion, we get one of the most powerful and provocative statements in the whole Bible. John 14, 6. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
This statement, I am the way, the truth, and the life, is the fourth I am statement that we have looked at in the Gospel of John. We started in John chapter 8, where Jesus declared, before Abraham was, I am. Then in John 6, we looked at where Jesus said, I am the bread of life, the one who feeds you. Last week, we were in John chapter 8, where Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And here in John 16, or in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And why these statements are so important is because Jesus is showing us what God is like and telling us what God is up to. This is all about identity. And what we discover in this I am statement is that Jesus is the one and only way. It's an outrageous claim. And it's an incredible offer. What we need to do is just look more closely at it. What does it mean that Jesus is the way? That Jesus is the truth? That Jesus is the life? This really is one statement broken up into three parts. And we're going to look at each one. First, Jesus is the way. The Greek word for way simply means a road, a route, or a course. It's a geographical term about getting from here to there. You remember, you may remember years ago when people were planning a road trip, they would go into their local CAA offer, office and they would order a triptych. A triptych was a little booklet that you could flip your way through and they would put it together with you with suggestions on the best way to get where you were going, what roads to take and what to avoid in order to get you to your destination. When our children were young, sometimes when we were doing a road trip, we would get out a map, maybe of Ontario or of Atlantic Canada or wherever we were going, and we would use a highlight to draw out the, way, the route to our destination so they would know where we were going. Then came GPS. Do you remember the TomTom device or the uh, Garmin device where, where you could get... Um, celebrities like Mr. T to talk to you and to tell you what roads to take on your way home. And it was often not correct and would be rerouting and rerouting. I actually remember the first time I got a car that actually had built-in GPS. It was life-changing. Now we just use an app on our phone. What each of these tools did was show us the way, the route, the course, When we do the compass run for food in June, we will mark out the path around Island Lake to show people how to get to the finish line. Jesus is showing us the way home to God. It's through him. He is the way. He covers the distance between us and God. One classic way to illustrate this is through a drawing that is so simple you could do it on a piece of paper or on the back of a napkin. It was made popular by Billy Graham and the Billy Graham Association, and it's called Steps to Peace with God. On one side is God. He is holy and loving. And with him is forgiveness, peace, and eternal life. On the other side is us. And we are broken and sinful, separated, lost, alone and condemned. And no amount of effort or trying is able to get us across the chasm that's been created by sin and death. 
Not our good works, our intentions, or our abilities. Not our intellect, our money, our family, or friends. We can't get there on our own. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's not just that we've done wrong things or sinful things. It's that sin has corrupted and influenced every part of us. Every area of our life has been touched by the curse of sin. And all of us are included. None of us are righteous. You have never met a person who does not need God's intervention, mercy, and forgiveness. Romans 6.23 goes on to say that the wages or the result of sin is death. And not just physical death, but spiritual death and separation from God in this life and in the life to come. Sin cuts us off from heaven and life in the kingdom of God. It prevents us from entering the kingdom of God. We are not able to have a relationship with God and to live in eternal friendship with him. We have lost our way. Now, sin is not a popular word, but we see its reality and effect all the time, every day. We notice that the world is not as it should be. War and sickness, disease, broken relationships, crime, pollution, despair, all the result of sin. J.K. Chesterton writes, sin is the only theological concept that can be 100% proven. Just look around. But God is full of grace and he's moved with compassion and he is not content to leave us on our own. Lost in sin. He has a redemptive plan for his creation. He's going to make all things new and we can be part of that new creation. And to enact the plan of God, the Father sends Jesus the Son into the world and to the cross to make a way. Romans 6.23 continues, But the gift of God is eternal life in in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the good news. God's free gift to you, eternal life in Jesus. Jesus is the way. He closes the gap between us and God. He is the bridge, not merely to heaven, but to life in the kingdom. We are on one side and God is on the other side. And the only way across the chasm of sin and death is Jesus himself. He becomes the bridge to get us to God's country. And while there is so much more to the gospel and to life with God, this is the starting point. The border crossing. The way. And from here we are able to enter in and discover what it means to truly live under God's reign and rule every day to walk in eternal friendship with God. Now you may notice here in verse 14 that Jesus does not say he is our way. Rather, he says he is the way. The definite article makes all the difference in the world. And this is immediately reinforced with his words at the end of verse 6. No one comes to the Father except through me. The pathway to God is exclusive. There is only one bridge, only one way. And Jesus is claiming that he is it because he is I am. He is God. 
In fact, in the, the early church, Christians were referred to as people of the way. In that pluralistic culture, they were known for their exclusive claim that Jesus was the only way home to God. Now, this belief in the exclusivity of Christ is not popular. It might even seem arrogant or a little narrow-minded. Isn't it just a matter of, uh, of faith, a matter of your opinion? Wouldn't it be more acceptable to say that there are many paths to God, just like there are multiple routes up to the top of a hill or a mountain? But Jesus does not offer that option. He's telling us, he's telling us the truth that there's only one way, and he describes himself as the one and only way. And the Jesus way is unique. While other religions and faith systems require you to work your, work your way into God's favor to find your way home by climbing up to God, Christianity is just the opposite. It's about God coming down to us. Not just sending a spokesperson, a guide or a guru, but God himself coming down. The creator rescuing the creation, the bridegroom coming for his bride. The message of the Bible, the message of the gospel of John, the message of Jesus is salvation by grace through faith alone in Jesus. Jesus tells the disciples, believe in me. He says that he will prepare the place. He says that he will take the disciples to be with the Father. He tells them that he is the way. This is the message of the Bible. If someone does not trust in the sufficiency of Jesus' life and death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead to save them, then they will end up eternally separated from God. When we were kids, when our kids were young, we used to, we took them one day on a hiking trip, a day hike in Killarney Provincial Park to Lumsden Lake. Lumsden is a pretty simple hike to a spectacular destination. A perfect place to swim and, and have a picnic lunch and pick blueberries. And if you're lucky, see some bears off in the distance. But on this one particular day, we missed the side trail that took you to the lake and we continued on down the main path for quite some time before realizing our mistake. We didn't want to double back and instead we thought it might be easier if we cut across country and bushwhacked our way to the lake, kind of cut the corner if you will. It was not easy. It was horrible and hard. We got scratched and lost and bitten by mosquitoes. We got turned around and confused until we finally found our way to the trail. Because if you don't follow the path, you don't reach the destination. No one gets home to the Father except through Jesus. Only Jesus offers us a relationship with the loving and living God. Embedded in every other religion, every other philosophy is some way for us to find God. But faith in Jesus is not about you finding your way to God. It's about God in Jesus coming to find you. He's come to find you today. No matter where, what you bring or where you've been, no matter what's going on in your life, his eyes are upon you. Whether you are a Thomas who struggles with doubt or a Peter who has messed up and walked away, Jesus finds us in our dark and messy places. He finds us in our places filled with shame and sin. 
And as God, as I am, he says, I love you. And I want to be with you so much that I would rather die than lose you. That's why Jesus came. That's why he took the cross upon his back. That's why he walked up the hill called Calvary to give his life for you. In just a few hours after these words, in the Garden of Gethsemane, while they are praying, Jesus will say to the Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus is asking God, is there another way? And the answer is no. There is no other way to get those we love home. There isn't. This is the way that has been decreed by God. This is the plan of salvation. It has always been through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And so in the end, Jesus prays a prayer of trust. Your will be done, not mine. And he sets for us a pattern of prayer. All of our prayers, all of our pleads, all of our desires pass through the garden where we say, not my will, but your will be done. I'm trusting you, God. I'm trusting you, Jesus. I'm trusting the plan. And the redemptive plan of salvation through Jesus was what was was agreed upon by the Trinity before the foundation of the world. Ephesians chapter 1 tells us this. It says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. The redemptive plan is the eternal covenant agreement within the Trinity to save God's people through the incarnation, through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. We can't make it on our own, and we don't have to. We can't cover the distance or bridge the gap. Romans chapter 3 verse 10 describes humanity this way. It says, no one is righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. And it leads to the question posed in Psalm 24. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? And sadly, the answer is no one. The reality is that the mountain of God is higher than anyone can climb. But the good news of amazing grace is that God came down. And through faith in the work of the cross, Jesus lifts us up. And that is why Psalm 3, 8 says, Salvation belongs to the Lord. It is his work. Jesus is the king of the mountain. He is the one and only king. He is the way. But this exclusive claim of Jesus is not a rejection. It shouldn't be heard that way. It's an invitation to all. It's an offer of love. 
The truth is that on our own, we're all lost, but God's heart is that all would be found and would find the way. And so to further comfort the disciples and to expand their understanding of who he is, Jesus adds, I'm not just the way, I am also the truth. This isn't a new thought. This is an expansion on what he's already said. And it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that Jesus tells us just that Jesus tells us the truth about ourselves or tells us the truth about life or that his teaching is consistent with the truth. Jesus isn't just a good teacher. What he is saying here is that he embodies truth itself and we cannot fully know truth apart from him. You see, truth and reason will lead you to God, but it still takes a step of faith to believe. Faith is not a leap into the dark. It's a step into the light. In John 18, Jesus is on trial before Pilate and he tells Pilate, for this reason I was born. For this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate's response comes in the form of a question. The same question that humanity has been asking for centuries. The same response to Jesus that keeps so many from faith. Pilate says to him, well, what is truth? And he doesn't wait for the answer. But here in John 14, Jesus has already provided it. He says, I am the truth. Jesus can testify to the truth and teach the truth because he himself is the truth. In him, there is nothing false, nothing misleading, nothing fake or uncertain. He fulfills the prophecy. He unpacks the mystery of God. He is the key to understanding life. In the 1100s, Asim of Canterbury, an Italian Benedictine monk, famously wrote this. For I do not seek to understand in order to believe, but I believe in order to understand. For I believe this, unless I believe, I will not understand. Each of us are capable of knowing some of the truth but none of us can claim to actually be the truth. There are too many things we don't know, too many things we get wrong throughout our lives, yet Jesus claims to be the truth, and in doing so, he claims to be one with God. Jesus is the way because he leads us into truth. Finally, Jesus says, I am the life. Notice again, Jesus doesn't merely give life, he is life. He is the very source of life, and in particular, in this context, of eternal life. And even as as he was active in the creation of the world, so here he is the one who calls forth life in you and me and in all who believe. John is a broken record about this. In fact, 12 times in the first 12 chapters of this gospel, he refers to Jesus as the light, or he quotes Jesus referring to himself as the one who gives life. Jesus is the source. He is the one who provides eternal life. Now, there is two aspects to this life. First of all, Jesus is the author and giver of life, natural, spiritual, and eternal But second, Jesus is also the way of life, the living way. He's the one who teaches us how to live and how to live life to the full. 
As we share our faith, we do so not with any sense of arrogance or a hint of self-righteousness that we have it figured out. Rather, we follow the love and the humility of Jesus. We live the way as we point the way. The way, the truth, and the life. This isn't three separate statements. It's one. The second two nouns modify the first. Jesus is saying, I am the true living way. Follow me. In his classic work, The Imitation of Christ, Thomas Akempis summarizes it this way. Without the way, there is no going. Without the truth, there is no knowing. Without the life, there is no living. I am the way which you must follow, the truth which you must believe, the life for which you must hope. I am the invaluable way, the infallible truth, the unending life. If you abide in my way, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free and you shall attain life everlasting. Just like the disciples in the upper room, asking Jesus, can you get us home? Jesus says to us today, I am the way, the truth and the life. Follow me. I will get you home. Let's pray together. Oh, Jesus, would you be our way who leads us to our true and eternal home? Be our path to salvation and give us the faith to follow you down it. Jesus, you are the truth, the truth who sets us free. And I pray that you would help us to walk in your truth and not to be deceived by the lies of the enemies about ourselves or about you or about our lives. As the creator, Lord, would you call forth new life in us. With these words, would you comfort and inspire us to trust and follow you. Thank you for the cross. Help us to know and follow you with all of our hearts so that we will not be troubled, but that through you the Father may be glorified and we will dwell with you forever. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, can we ask you to do this? If this sermon or even our podcast has been helpful to you, would you mind sharing it? Simply send the text as a link to somebody, post it to your social media, or just verbally tell somebody about it. Spread the good news of Jesus by sharing our podcast with somebody else. If you're not connected with us, we would love to hear from you. Reach out to us on any of our social media platforms. Simply look for at This Is Compass and let us know where you're listening from or how you're listening, or even when you're listening. We would love to know and be connected with you. We're going to be back next week as we continue on the series, I Am, discovering what Jesus meant when he said, I am the true vine.